You're listening to Shit Adults Never Taught Us, the podcast where we talk shit in a good way. Hi, everyone. So this week we have Danny Atanasio, who I came across in the most random way, but when I was promoting the book Shit Adults Never Taught Us, I did her podcast, Grown Up Hustle. And I gotta be honest, she and I connected more than I've ever connected with a random person that I've met over the internet before. She's just the coolest person. And when I started figuring out who I wanted to interview for this podcast, she was one of the first people that I thought of and I reached out to and she said yes. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode where we talk about all things travel, adventure, and the lessons we've learned along the way. So please welcome Danny Atanasio. All right, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. So let's start off with a little Cliff Notes background of you. Tell us because you've sort of lived the coolest life and you've lived all over the world. So let's just take a a brief history through Danny on the globe. Okay, brief history. Um, Born and raised in the UK, left when I was 17, went to Holland, um, then did Canada, um, then decided after a small, I don't know, quarter-life crisis that I was going to go off backpacking, spent three years backpacking around the world, ended up in Australia, became an Australian citizen, lived there, worked there, started a business there, um, moved to the UK two, two and a half, three years ago, very begrudgingly, still stuck here now, definitely looking to go back to Australia. It's kind of as a funny one. I obviously I've got my family here and stuff. So it, these are the things that have kind of kept me in the UK, my family, my partner, but I guess my heart is always in Australia. So it's tough. It's really tough. What is usually your instigator? Cause you move around quite a bit, not an insane amount, but like, was it career or boredom or exploration and adventure? What? Exploration and adventure. I really, I'm, I love the unknown. Like I have no fear. I love a challenge. Like give me a challenge. I bore easily. I bore quickly. I, yeah, I just like checking out how far I can push myself, I guess, in different situations. And also I never, ever, like I said, I was born in the UK, but I never, liked living here I never felt that I belonged here I didn't really feel like it fitted my personality so I guess I was trying a lot of different places on for size to see if I liked it and see if it was my jam and I got to Australia and it was the first time in my life that I was like yeah this is this is for me like I belong here these are my people this is my vibe this is my world so I think I felt like I had to try a lot of stuff on to be able to find my place so I guess moving from there has been pretty pretty tough for me I hear that in such I feel that like so deep in me right now I think Mm. I've done the same thing but not outside of the country I've actually never lived abroad it's sort of like a bucket list item but I grew up in Maryland uh right outside DC and then when I was 17 I went to college and I just I just sort of got up and I was like I'm gonna go to college in Florida now And I moved there and I knew no one. And I spent three years making friends, building a life. And then I graduated and I moved across the country to Los Angeles. I've lived in Los Angeles for 10 years, but I still don't feel like it's home. Like when somebody comes up to me and they say like, where are you from? I always say Maryland. Okay. And I don't think of myself 
as from Los Angeles or living like a permanent life here. Okay. That's interesting. I've wanted to live abroad, but it's not like, I, I also love the unknown. I think we're very sort of strange in that way. I don't think a lot of yeah. people do. <laughs> people like their routine, their comfort, their stability, what they know. People hate change as a general rule. And that's something I've really discovered as I've been on this life journey is people's enact sort of like inability, if you like, to be able to comprehend why I want to do these things or where I'm coming from. And when you try to explain to them, they think you're crazy. They tell you you need to grow up. And I'm like, I'm just living my life. Right. And grown up means something different to everybody, doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. when I, when I travel, I like to travel in two places. I'm uncomfortable because I don't speak the language or I don't have the ideal accommodations or whatever it is. Same. And so, you know, I've traveled all, all over Asia, uh, like Indonesia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia, I've done all of that. I've gone to Europe and traveled so many places in Europe, including I'm going to Greece and Croatia and Italy in a few months. And I, when I travel, I, I don't go for like, okay, I'm going to stay by this famous exhibit or this famous museum or go see all of the main places. I look up what's weird. And like, even when yeah. I was in Berlin, I, I took the people I was traveling with to Berlin, I took them to an abandoned amusement park and a club that was in the back of like a bookstore. And I just kept taking them to random places and they would be like, okay, cool. Can we go see like parliament buildings and like museums and statues? I'm like, yes, of course. But then can we also go see this underground cool stuff? Because that's what I I want. Don't you find though, as a fellow traveler, and I have seen a lot of the world, like a lot. And my like backpacking buddy, who I've done a lot of traveling with, she sort of says the same thing. That the things that you, they were on your bucket list. They're, you know, going to, I don't know, Rio and seeing uh, Cristata Rendentor and stuff. You get there and it's actually quite anticlimactic. And some of the best experiences and the best memories are built from doing quite obscure random things. Yes. That's why I do them because Mm. expectation versus reality is always different. And it's like when you go to, you know, whatever it is, the famous thing you've seen in a million pictures, it never looks like that. I mean, it looks like that because they're pictures, but you're surrounded surrounded by crowds. You're surrounded. You have to pay Mm -hmm. for it half the time you spend like uh, my brother and I just went to Niagara Falls on the way to the Buffalo airport the other day. We spent like $20 in parking we hustled to get to Niagara Falls in the hot, humid air. We fought through crowds. We get to the falls. The fencing around it is surrounded by people. So you're standing, waiting for everyone to take their Instagram photos. You get up there, you take your photos, you see everyone staring at you, waiting for you to move, and then you leave. And we were literally there 10 minutes and it ruins it. Do you know what, though? A lot of my traveling and a lot of my adventures started before Instagram. I remember when Instagram first came out and I was like, what is this? And it was, it was actually my cousin. And she was like, I think this is something you might enjoy because you take a lot of travel pictures. But pre-Instagram, pre-smartphone, me and my best friend were backpacking and traveling. And we enjoyed stuff a lot more, A, because there wasn't just a load of 
influencers trying to get pictures and capture moments but also there wasn't a load of everyone trying to capture pictures and moments because you know if it's not in the gram it didn't really happen you know but but it did and and the the difference i would say in the experience and and we didn't have obviously smartphones for google maps so i can remember like landing in asia uh she had really bad food poisoning we'd come from indonesia actually uh we landed in thailand and do you remember the um they're like a phone box but with like a keyboard on it yeah internet. Yes. Yeah. And we were there on Hostel World, like looking for a hostel. She's absolutely dying. God bless her. Like she does not even, even know what to do with herself. Oh my God. And I'm trying to book on that because we didn't have smartphones. They weren't a thing when we, when we were traveling. And we both say now how incredible an experience it was without Instagram or the socials. There was Facebook. There was Facebook. But we used to go to a little internet cafe, plug our memory card in from our, our um, camera, yeah. and then upload them onto Facebook in an album so that our family could see where we'd been and what we'd done. But it was so, like, trivial in the grand scheme of, you know, how things are these days. It's crazy. It is. And it ruins it. I do think it's changed the experience, don't you? Because I was thinking mm-hmm. about that as you were talking about, like, photo buckets and Google Photos, and all of the things that you would just upload, and no one would ever see those photos. And now it feels like every place I go, I need somebody to know that I was there. Where I Mm -hmm. would, when I was traveling as a kid, I went so many places no one ever knew about because there was nowhere to put them. Even when I was traveling up to probably 2019, I was traveling on Wi-Fi only, and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do like a cell phone service abroad. I maybe yeah. got a SIM card a couple of places where I was like, I'm going to need some maps. But no, I traveled with Wi-Fi only. And not having a cell phone, if you're not connected to Wi-Fi, is the most freeing thing. Do you love it? Do you feel yeah. like... I love it. Do you feel like that it's enhances liberating. the experience a little bit? It definitely does. Um, I mean, we used to, we had, we always, always had Lonely Planets. So we would pick up, uh, you know, Southeast Asia on a shoestring or Lonely Planet for whatever country it was. We would sit there. Uh, well, I say we, this is a lie. And if she ever listens to this, she'll also agree that she did nothing. She was literally the most easiest going, but lazy backpacker ever. Cause she'd be like, I'll do anything. You just pick. And I just used to go through, pick a couple of things in the Lonely Planet for whatever, you know, country or city or whatever we were in. And then I'd be like, give her a list of like four things, like pick something. And to the point even, she wouldn't even care where we booked flights. So we just, yeah, just everything was done on the Lonely Planet. If the Lonely Planet gave us something obscure to do, then we would read it and then we would go off, we would go off and, and explore. I love that. What would you, what was your criteria for choosing things? There really wasn't one. <laughs> there was no semblance, like there, there was just no there was no order. That's the only, only way I can explain it. It was all very last, last minute, spontaneous, I guess, cheap flights, cheap accommodation, what was available, what fit into, into sort of our, our plans, if you like, they were very rough. I mean, we, we were in Fiji. We met some people that were being sponsored to sell around the world on this like really old sailboat from Brazil. Um, they invited us to join. At first I said, no, Long story short, we then flew from Fiji into Australia, but it was winter and we were like, fuck this. So we emailed them and we were like, are you still over that way? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, okay, 
if we fly back into Fiji, can you pick us up at Denarau at the, at the port? And like, we'll, we'll, we'll come and chill on the boat. And they were like, yeah. And this is not like glamorous, by the way. And we, yeah, we ended up getting on the boat with them and we went around all um, Pacific islands, like little like desert islands um, where there's no one or nothing. Spearfishing in Fiji, in the like remote islands, you have to um, speak to the chief of the island before you're allowed on and you have to bring them something called kava. It's like a root um, and it's a ceremony they do. So I remember like getting on like this little, like motorized dinghy. I don't know how I'm still alive, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and we just turned up on this island and uh, we asked to see the chief and we brought him the, the carver route. And then he said it was okay. And we were allowed on the island. And there was like maybe 50, 50 people that lived on this island. We had no electricity, no nothing. And all the little kids were playing and I, they, they were fascinated by my, my best friend because she's, she's a redhead, really fair. And obviously they're all very, very dark. So they were, they were just amazed by her, but like hiding behind trees, watching her. And we were laughing so much. Like it was just, it was such an amazing experience. Those are the best experiences, aren't they? In mm. the whole world. Like the ones that I tell or don't tell to my mom that I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Hotel, they're the best ones. And the ones that I don't tell where I'm like, I don't really know how that all worked out, but it did. Those are the best experiences. Those are the ones mm. that when I think back on a country, if somebody says a country's name, that's what comes up for me. Not the waiting in line to see the tourist attraction, but the yeah. riding on a Vespa through the jungle is the thing that I think of. It's, it's what you're going to remember forever. And it's the experiences that make your whole life worth it. And I honestly think, having enough of those experiences is what propels you to do it more because the unknown yeah. has proven to work out enough times that it's not as scary anymore. The unknown is what stops, I think, a lot of people from do mm -hmm. doing what they would dream Definitely. of doing or taking the next step into something, changing careers, changing relationships, moving, whatever it is. They don't do it because they're so afraid of the unknown where if you've done enough adventures in your life, you know, the unknown usually works out or at least shows you a path. It teaches you something. Even yes. so, and actually, when I look at my life, some of the, for some of the decisions I've made, they might not have been the right decision, like quote unquote, but they taught me something. So they might not have seemed like the best idea at the time or the best experience at the time. And, but when I look back, I think, ah, and that's what I was meant to learn from that situation. And you don't, you never see it. You never see it in that moment. No. It's almost I'm impossible. Like, Why is this happening? <laughs> and honestly, it's like when I look back at, if I really think about every trip, something went wrong. I lugged suitcases through snowstorms. I've hurt myself or been sick or had food poisoning or oh my gosh, when I was in Bali, like the third day I was there, I got so sunburned. I spent a day with aloe on my legs reading a book. And when I think back on it, I forget all of those experiences because mm. they are so outweighed by the great ones. You just, you oh, forget yeah. about them. And they're part of it. They're part of it. And you just become resourceful. There's, when I was in Thailand, uh, I was with my boyfriend at the time and we went and saw elephants in a town called Kanchanaburi, which was like an hour and a half outside Bangkok. And we took an Uber from Bangkok there. And somewhere in my metropolitan Los Angeles brain, I thought we would just take an Uber back. And when we were done, I, <laughs> I was in this remote village 
surrounded by no ubers <laughs> surrounded by natives and 26 elephants and no ubers no taxis no nothing and this uh very nice person that worked at the front was like the only way out of here is this van to a bus station and we hopped in this random van with all of the people that were at this elephant sanctuary and we went to the bus station which is about 40 minutes away we get to the bus station there are no signs there are just a pile of buses and I walk up to the bus station attendant who does not speak any English. I do not speak any Thai <laughs> and we get through everything. I don't have any, it's Wi-Fi only. I don't have any service. I get up there and it's just photos. I'm just pointing at photos of places that I recognize that were landmarks in Bangkok. And she was like, the palace, do you want to go to the palace? And I was like, Yes. Yes. I want to go to the palace. I was like, we walked to the palace from our hotel. It was about 10 minutes. Yes. That's where I want to go. And she put us on a bus there and that's how we got out of there. And you get back and you're like, how did that work out? But it just did. If, it's funny because I never, ever, when I was traveling, I didn't plan to go to Australia. That was not in my plans. Even though I've got heaps of family over there, that was not in my plans, but I was in Vietnam and I got sick with um, food poisoning, but it was horrendous. And I was in this, I was in this hostel and it was like $2 a night because there's a lot of building work going on outside, like pneumatic drill building work, but you know, I'm, I'm on a budget. So I'm staying there, no AC, full of mozzies. And normally I'm always the girl that's up for going out for a beer. You know what it's like when you're in hostels. So they were like, oh, should we go out for a drink? And I was thinking, I'm not feeling too good. So I went out, but I just had a water. And then I woke up that night and I thought, I don't, I, I'm, I'm really, I don't know what's going to go on. Am I going to spew? Am I going to shit myself? Like, this is a whole thing. Yeah. And so I remember going downstairs in the hostel and that's all I remembered. And then I passed out in like the little toilet and I was in absolute state. And there was a girl that I was traveling with. Um, I couldn't even walk up the stairs. I, I was just, I just wasn't there. The girls that worked on the desk who found me, they only spoke Vietnamese. They obviously knew I was sick. And then my, my travel buddy at the time came down. She found me. Uh, but we had booked to go to... Oh, shit. What is it called? Oh, you go on the boat with all the rocks. Um, How Long Bay. How Long Bay. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I was in no state. So I said to her, look, just go. So she was going for like two nights. I ended up unconscious with this like horrendous strain of... I don't even know what I had. These Australian girls had to take care of me because I had no one there. And I was fighting that I wouldn't go to hospital because I'd heard all of these horror stories. And bear in mind, we're talking way back in the day. Long story short, it was a really rough couple of days. My friend came back from Halong Bay. She'd met some guy who was going up to Sapa on a motorbike. And she was like, why don't you come? Like, his fr he's got a friend, his friend's got a bike. And I was like, I'm still like, not too sure what's going on with my life. There's no way I'm getting on the back of a bike to go to the mountains. Like, I was still so sick. Yeah, and those are not easy roads. Those roads just weave. Horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. So I thought, fuck it, I'll go to Australia. Like this, that was literally how like spontaneous and sporadic my decisions were. Okay, I booked a flight online. Everyone thought I'd like lost the plot and were telling me like, no, like just, just come, come back, come back, come back to your family. And I was like, no, I'm going to Australia. So um, I remember getting my backpack, 
the girls at the hostel just told me to go and wait at the bottom of the lane. And this guy came in his car. It wasn't a taxi. And he was taking me to the airport, but he spoke no English. And then we were just basically going through rice paddies. And then he stops at the side of the road and picks up some other guy. And then they're talking in Vietnamese. And I'm thinking, I am, I'm going to die. And nobody knows where I am. And oh, it was a whole thing. But anyway, long story short, I ended up getting on the flight to Australia. That's how I ended up in Australia. And I fell in love with it. And that was it. I that was meant to be. It's crazy that that mm. just works out. Like, I feel like when I tell stories like that, I almost sound insane. <laughs> yeah. The most amazing experiences. And like, I did the same thing. Went to, I was in Hong Kong and I went to Vietnam and I ate a salad in the Hong Kong airport that by the time I landed in Vietnam was not okay in me. Okay. I got ill from something I ate in Hong Kong. So I, and I know exactly what it was. It was a dish with rice that they put a raw egg on top on a hot dish and you're supposed to stir it around yes, to cook it. I, I obviously that. didn't cook that. Fuck man, it made me so sick. So then I knew when I landed in um, Vietnam that I didn't feel too good. And then within probably a day and a half, I was so, so ill. And oh, I know, you know, you know you just that it's know. that that made you sick. And I, yeah. I knew it. I, first of all, it was the only thing that I really ate that day because the flight was midday. So I had that salad. I got on the plane. We landed in Vietnam. By the time we got to the hotel, I was done. I was just like, I can't do this. But we rallied. I went out and saw the water puppet show in Hanoi. And the whole time I'm sitting at this water puppet show, my stomach is making the loudest noises that I'm like, everyone around me can hear this. And then I think about it and I woke up, I guess, like the next day and I was fine and we did Hanoi and it was okay. But then the day after that, this guy comes and picks you up to go to Halong Bay. He comes to your um, hotel. He leads you and weaves you through the streets of Hanoi, which are very thin, uh, mm -hmm. to a van that you get in. And then he drives you an hour to, to, uh, to the bay and then just ushers you onto a boat. And when you tell the story to people who haven't done it, you sound insane. It sounds like you're about to get abducted, but I have more stories like that because I just, for some reason, tr I never trust people in Los Angeles. I trust them abroad and I can't explain why. I flew from um, Bali to Lombok, just got in a cab from the airport, drove like two hours through Lombok, to get a boat to Gili Trawangan. But I remember getting out, I, I was actually, um, I was with an ex then, but so I wasn't, it wasn't two women. So I guess I felt a little bit more like secure. But the, the cab driver, if you want to call him that, because it wasn't even an actual cab, it was just a car, just left us at this, like the edge of the beach <laughs> and then didn't speak any English. And was like, yes, boat soon and just left. And we waited there in the boiling heat for about two and a half hours until the boat from Gilly Trawangan, this little rickety piece of shit that I don't know how I'm still cooking alive, yeah. just came and he pulled up on the sand and we got in. And then, yeah, they took us to, to the Gilly. Uh, it's just, it's so ridiculous that it's fabulous. So many of these stories. And honestly, I could talk about them for hours. Oh, I mean, no. we, I think we probably have like, somewhat similar parallel stories in that way yeah. oh my god but danny can i ask you some questions about your life you can because we've gone rogue <laughs> that's okay it's meant to life goes rogue. Yeah. so, so do conversations life goes rogue. it's okay 
<laughs> I'm going to ask you some random questions about your life, if that's cool. Yeah, let's do it. What's one life lesson you've had to learn over and over again? Life lesson. Okay. So for me, life lesson that I have literally had to learn repetitively is not to make long-term decisions based on short-term emotion. I do believe that life takes you on the journey that you're supposed to go on, even though I think that by me acting the way that I've, I've acted, sort of making these long-term decisions on short-term emotions has left me with a lot of unfinished business in my life, maybe not had full closure on the situation. I also try not to believe in having too many life regrets. And I do think in hindsight, looking back, that if I had reacted with a bit more of a level head, I probably could have saved either myself or other people who were maybe involved in these situations a slightly less painful experience. <laughs> Yeah. Than, than some of the things that I've done. Do you get really in your head? Are you sort of an overthinker like I am that thinks of every scenario? Um, I'm an overthinker and I unfortunately can be a bit of a glass is half empty on a situation. Mm. If I'm down on a situation, I find it very hard to pick back up and, and be up on the situation again. So once I've decided I'm down on it, I'm down on it and that's it. And then I'm gone. And it, it's, it's not an ideal way to sort of approach life because then you can do things that are very, very rash because you are reacting on that short-term emotion. That emotion isn't going to be there consistently forever. And I have done things in my life and, and looked back and thought, fuck, I really shouldn't have done that because I've caused pain to myself or trauma to myself or pain or trauma to someone else. It was kind of shit, really. I do that too, though. And, uh, and then you end up sort of thinking about the what ifs a little bit more than if you had seen it through. Mm. Because mm. if you had seen it through, you probably would know the other side of it and you would know whether or not, like, for sure, closure, like you said, one way or the other, you would have known what the right decision is. But when you cut and run halfway through... There's something always in the back of your mind that's like, but what if I had done it? But then there's the flip side of that, right? Like staying in a relationship what if you too hadn't? long or staying in a job too long and being like, you know mm -hmm. what? I had that gut instinct. I should have done it sooner. So I don't know. Life has no rights. I think follow the gut. I think that's a good one. And I definitely do believe in gut instinct. But if you are feeling overly emotional about situations, so, you know, whether that be upset or anger or whatever it is, for me anyway, this is not me preaching to, to your listeners, but for me anyway, I definitely need to learn to take a step back, rein it in, rein that emotion in and just let it play out a little longer. Don't, don't, don't make huge decisions on short-term emotions. I love that. I think that's so, so true because it, it doesn't go well, especially if the emotions calm down because then more emotions flood and you're like, oh no, mm -hmm. did I do the right thing? Well, did I make a mistake? And those emotions are just going to feel as big as the other ones. Uh, yeah, I can't agree with that more. Okay. Love it. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be such a good one because of you. My next question, I'm so excited for. But okay, what's one thing about this time in your life, like this moment right now that you're living, that you want to hold on to for the rest of your life? My commitment to my own self-development it has taken me, I've gone on these little mini journeys of self-development probably from my late 20s onwards. But now I'm trying to really learn better like self-care and self-love 
I'm learning to face my own demons mm. and kind of really do the tough work. And it's hard, like it's ugly and it's hard, yeah. but I feel so committed to myself now. And I'm, I want to be able to carry through my life what I'm learning now, because I think it's really important. And the only way that you're going to be committed to yourself forever is if you keep doing that work, otherwise you're just going to fall backwards. Yeah. And that doesn't serve me. It doesn't. I don't think it serves anyone. It's really difficult sometimes to, to rationalize that in my own brain because I don't know if we're the same person, but do you find that it's really hard for you to relax? Do you like ever sit down thinking, I can't wait to relax. And then your brain just keeps being like, well then do it. Why aren't you relaxed? Like, I don't relax. I'm a terrible, anyone that knows me, I'm a terrible, terrible sleeper. Like I have been for years uh, to the point of like crazy insomnia. I could be awake for a couple of days at a time. I can't, I, I don't like being asleep next to someone because for some reason their breathing will like, because I can't relax. I can't switch off. So I start focusing on that. And I mean, you know, everyone wants their partner to be breathing next to them because otherwise, you know, they're dead. <laughs> it's not, not a winner, but, um, but no, I find it even when I do go to sleep, I have such vivid, vivid dreams. And some of my dreams are brilliant. They're inspiring. I get like ideas from them, but some of them aren't so good. But when I try and tell people my dreams, they, they can't believe what's coming out of my mouth because this, it's so, it's like a movie. And that's what people say, your dreams are like a movie. And I'm like, that just proves to me that even when my body is supposed to be resting, I'm not in a full state of relaxation. I'm still sort of, you know, in that REM sleep, which isn't proper sleep. Your imagination is just going so wild. It's mm. so funny. That's the only time I actually think I do relax. But no. I have a lot of dreams. I just, I'm the kind of person that will go, go, go. I wake up at 7, 7.30. I get up, I drink my coffee, and then I just go. I can accomplish a record number of things before 10 a.m. and just go, 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 go. Same as me. And then 7, 8, 9 o'clock, I go, okay, you've done a lot today, Natasha. Let's just sit down, let's watch TV. And my brain's like, that's hilarious. That's definitely not happening. And the whole <laughs> time TV is on, my brain is just thinking about you know, you could be doing the dishes right now. You have a load of laundry that could be getting done. Why don't you go for a walk? Why are you sitting? And it's just, it's, it's production that isn't productive. Do you feel guilt for just sitting and being? Because I Absolutely. feel a massive, massive guilt. And then I feel, and I felt this my whole life with housemates, partners, whatever, whoever I'm sharing my living space with, that I'm not allowed actually to just sit and be. I feel then that I have to justify why I'm sitting and being. And that's fucking crazy when you think about it. And I've said to my husband, like, do you feel guilty when you sit down and watch the Formula One? And he's like, what are you on about? No. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so hard to explain to, <laughs> to someone who's, whose mind doesn't work that way. That when I just sit down and I'm just sitting and being, just mindlessly watching TV or whatever it I feel guilty. I feel like there's other things I should be doing. Absolutely. And then my brain won't stop. And then I feel guilty about beating myself up because yes. I'll sit down and be like, no, I deserve, like, stop telling me to get up and do more things. I've been doing things for 14 hours. I'm going to sit and enjoy a few hours. I'm tired. I'm relaxing. And then my brain just, it's arguing with itself. My brain is upset that I'm not doing things and upset that I'm mad about not doing things. And it's a constant until I go I to love, sleep. 
I love how many people, and I'm sure you would have had the same because you are just, you are just a put yourself out there and go and get it. And, you know, you're, so a lot of people have said to me, you know, oh God, I wish I could be more like you. And I would imagine you would have the same thing, you know, but, but you just want to say to them, you don't want to be anything like me because trust me, being in my head and being in my body is fucking exhausting. Like I am tired. <laughs> it is so funny. I've done so many podcasts and um, I wrote the book in six weeks and people are constantly like, you wrote the book in six weeks. That's amazing. I've been writing my book for a year. And I'm like, it's not a good thing. I would stay up until two, three o'clock in the morning because the ideas won't stop coming and I can't stop word vomiting yeah. onto a Google document. It is not, <laughs> it is not because my brain is like, I'm so productive. I can do this. My brain just decides that it's going to do it. And there's no arguing. It just can't switch off. There's Can't no do switching it. off. Yeah, I'm hearing you loud and clear. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Who would you want to be if you could trade lives with someone for a day? And then why? Uh, I'd want to be like a journalist for Sky News or something like that because I love the thrill and the adrenaline rush. And I would just kill to actually be in the midst of the chaos reporting on global events. That would, would be you want to go into like a war zone? Would you want yeah. to be like Christian Amanpour and be in the middle of yeah. a war zone? Bombs going off. Yeah. I could I, do it. I literally could do it and would thrive on it. And my husband watches um, Sky News a lot. And I always say when I, I see the reporters out, you know, in the midst of all these different crazy chaotic situations. And I'm like, I would love to do that. I would love to be there. And I, he looks at me like I'm crazy. But to me, he's like, that's, that's like you're literally living on the edge 24-7 doing that job. And I'm like, yeah, imagine. Like, that would be idea. amazing. But I never wanted a conventional life. So I think maybe I just missed my calling. Maybe that's what I should have done. I shouldn't have worked with animals. I should have trained to be a journalist. I originally went to school for journalism. When I went to college, I went to school for journalism. And then I was looking at the course load and I decided not to pursue it. Okay. And I went into film and I changed majors. Like my first semester of college, I changed majors. And that's one of those things that in the back of my head, like we were talking about making a rash decision based on emotion. I made a rash decision because I was looking at the course load. And I was like, oh, this is too intense. This is really hard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, film seems easier. I'm going to go do that. And it's been 11, 12 years that I'm still like, man, I wish I had done journalism. It would have been cool. And, and when you go into journalism, especially now, every single person in your life is being like, that's a dying art. That's going away. That's going to go. And it's not. It's not. It's just a different spin on it now. That's yeah. what I would say with journalism. It's a very, very different spin on it now. But I don't think it's a dying art by any Everyone will need things to be reported on. There's always going to be something in the world. And yes, you can have so many, like we were just saying, you can have so many Instagram videos that potentially take away the on-the-site, uh, on-the-scene action of journalists. But it's not going to stop the narrative. The story always has to happen. So, but you haven't got like, you know, Jenny from down the road, who's like a, an influencer sort of making an Instagram reel or alive in the middle of a war zone or in the middle of a hurricane exactly. or whatever it might be. So therefore journalists, real, real journalists definitely will always have their place in life. And Absolutely. That, that's what I want to do. If there's, if there's something out there like a, 
a bigger purpose out there and they're, they're listening to me and I get my one wish from like my genie lamp or whatever. That's what I want. I want to be a journalist for the day. This, this would be the medium. We're going to send this podcast episode all around. This is your interview. It's like a, uh, it's an audio resume. What's one emotion that you wish you were better at? Ironically, even with the self-work, my inability to deal with situations. So I really don't like it when things get uncomfortable. So anyone that knows me, especially anyone from my past who has maybe had a relationship with me or has been a close friend with me, will know that my best way of dealing with things tends to be that I don't. <laughs> so if it's too hard or it's too upsetting or it's too like confrontational, I'll just check out and go on the missing list. And I will be able, you, you will not reach me. You will not find me because I have decided I'm not dealing with that. And that it, it's not fair on myself. It's not fair on other people. And it's just not a very good way to approach life. So that, that for me definitely would be the one thing that I would like to be able to do differently. Did you, when you were a kid, were you a dramatic kid that was always like, I'm going to run away. Like if something didn't go your way. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm 37 and I'm still dramatic. I am the queen oh, of I drama. Oh, I mean dramatic in the way where like something, I wouldn't get the thing that I wanted and I would go upstairs and pack a bag and come downstairs and be like, I'm running away. <laughs> and my mom would be like, because you didn't get this DVD movie? And I'm like, yes, I didn't get this toy. I'm out of here. And I, to my mom's credit, oftentimes she would be like, okay, cool, bye. Oh, my mum called my bluff several times for different things in my life. But, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that is what it stems from. It's like a childhood thing. I never thought of it like that. I guess that's what most of our shit stems from, actually, doesn't it? So, so much of our shit is childhood. But I don't think anything would have gone differently. Like, there isn't a scenario in what made up this person, this body that I am. I don't think there's a scenario where I would have been a different way I think that my parents my parents are phenomenal parents they always were my whole life they still are now they're like my best friends we get on great and but they always tried to protect me probably from conflict confrontation drama stuff like that so unfortunately now as an adult when I find myself in those situations I'm like yeah nah I'm not going to deal with that I'm just going to go and that's probably because I was so sheltered from it my whole life but when I actually had to yeah. get out into the real world and deal with those things, it, I didn't, basically. And I still don't really. I mean, I do deal with things better, but if it gets too, too intense, I'll probably check out. I'm the same way. And it's probably the exact, exactly what you're talking about. Like, my, neither of my parents are very confrontational as people. Mm. And if I got in trouble, it was a discussion. Nobody was screaming Nobody was like throwing things or yelling. No. And, and those homes, of course, are, are a completely different scenario. But because there was just conversations, anything higher than that, anything at an elevated level that's beyond a conversation, I'm like, nope, can't handle it. Nope, not doing that. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a terrible reaction because I, back in the day, wouldn't think anything of yelling at someone, but I wouldn't want them to yell at me, which is ridiculous and actually quite bratty when you when you break it down to like to think that it's acceptable to shout at someone else and they're not going to shout back at you like what the, what the fuck why would you expect that oh i have i have the fight again in the car or in the shower yeah. or laying in bed at night 
And those are the ones that I win. I win every time <laughs> in those fights. I mean, those, I've got some zingers. I'm so good. But in the, in the moment, I'm not. In the moment, I'm like, hold on. I have to think about it. I don't know what to say. And it's just, I freeze a little bit. Yeah, I'm probably the same now. You and I might be the same person. I feel like we, we are. We might be. I'm pretty convinced we might be. <laughs> I knew from the second I first sort of connected with you, I was like, yeah, this, this chick is my vibe. Like, it's unfortunate that we live countries apart, <laughs> but you know what? One day we will be in the same country and we will catch up and it will be fucking awesome. I agree. And I love your podcast. So that's, I think, the perfect segue into this ending here. Your podcast is just that. It's connecting with people on, on a deeper level about all the grown-up shit. Yeah. And that's why we connected. And that's why we connected. So, <laughs> tell everybody here how they can find you and all the good. Plug, plug it away. Plug it plug away. So um, if you want to link up with me on Instagram, you can find me at Grown Up Hustle Podcast. Uh, I've also got a website, which is www.grownuphustle.com. And on there, you can contact me. You can check out all of the shows. Um, there's some other bits and bobs on there, which I am slowly adding to. Um, and if you want to listen to any of the episodes, season one is complete. Uh, season two has recently just started and it's Grown Up Hustle and it's available on all podcast platforms. Love it. You. Okay. Thank you so much, Danny, for being here. You're amazing. Likewise. We're going to meet in person. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be fucking epic and I can't wait. <laughs> I want to thank Danny so much for joining me today. And we talked a lot about travel. So if you have questions, feel free to DM either of us at Grown Up Hustle Podcast as hers or at Shit Adults Never Taught Us as mine. And we'd love to talk to you about travel. That's all for today's episode. Check back in next week to talk a little more shit with me. In the meantime, be sure to grab your copy of Shit Adults Never Taught Us on Amazon and Barnes & Noble to learn all the shit adults never taught us. And in case no one told you this week, you're killing it. So keep going, you genuine badass. <laughs>